0: The following Dharma Encounter with Jeffrey Shug and Arnold Roshi took place at Zen Mountain Monastery at the conclusion to a week-long meditation session. As you'll hear, Dharma Encounters begin with the introduction of a topic related to Zen practice and training. Students then volunteer to present their understanding of the topic or a question for the Dharma Encounter teacher to reflect on. The presence of fellow students means that anyone in attendance can benefit from the exchange. We hope you enjoy.
1: Uh, Good morning, everyone. So, this morning we are concluding our session, and as we do during Ango, we're concluding it with a Dharma encounter, um, which is really rooted in the uh, ancient and long-standing tradition of um, inquiry. And... Engaging in the Dharma, studying the Dharma, and trying to uh, aspiring to awaken to the Dharma. And so, sometimes the teachings are more didactic in nature, giving instruction. And sometimes they're telling stories of ancient masters, or parables, or offering metaphors, teaching tools. And sometimes they're direct teaching trying to awaken the mind in that very moment. And so Dharma Encounter is a spontaneous and live meeting between teacher and student to and together in public to, to do just that, to open up our minds and to help us develop our Buddha Dharma within ourselves and in our lives. I wanted to mention um, at the outset that our chief disciple for the ango tenfu who was entered her position at the beginning of march had a fall on the streets just before sichen and fractured her knee and so she has been joining us and i am imagining is joining us right now from her home and her place of recovery Um, she's, because it's going to be a long recovery, She's has needed to withdraw from the Ongo as chief disciple. So through no fault of her own, but an accident on the street and her the need to heal and to stay off of that leg, um, that would make her doing the Ongo, you know, um, as chief disciple, impossible. So she's doing exactly what she needs to do is being right where she needs to be and um, we miss her and are wishing her well in her recovery. So there we are. So we, we continue with her, with Tenfu, but in a slightly different uh, capacity. And so we'll be doing the Ango without a chief disciple, which we've done before. Um, so I'll be doing the Dharma encounter uh, during the Ango, and then we'll do the final one in uh, May. Uh, where she would normally be doing that. So what I wanted to do this morning is um, draw from the Dogen fascicle that we've been studying, one of them on undivided activity, and draw from a particular passage. And I had made plans to sort of focus the whole Dharma encounter on just that. But this morning I had another idea. (laughs) Uh, which has not had much time to develop, so we'll see how that works. But I wanted to bring in an aspect of the Mahaparinibbana Sutta that we are also studying. And so first let me read from this short passage of Master Dogen from Undivided Activity. <clears throat> Birth is just like riding a boat. You raise the sails and you steer. Although you maneuver the sail and the pole, the boat gives you a ride. And without the boat, you couldn't ride. But you ride in the boat, and your riding makes the boat what it is. Investigate a moment such as this. At just such a moment, there is nothing but the world of the boat. The sky, the water, and the shore are all the boat's world, which is not the same as a world that is not the boat's. Thus, you make birth what it is. You make birth your birth. And while he's focusing on birth, we could just as well read this as birth and death is like riding a boat. And all the way through, because they're non-dual and because they um, exchange, we might say, each other. And so we could look at it that way as well. And so just hold that for a little bit, and I'll come back to that and read that one more time before we go into the questions. Birth is just like riding a boat. In the Sh- Shon's talk during Session, she talked about taking refuge, and taking refuge is essential to Buddhism. It is Buddhism, really. It is the sort of the full expression of Buddha Dharma. In a sense, it's what makes all the things that we do or many of the things that we do that could be happening outside of Buddhism or in some other tradition, it's what makes it Buddha Dharma. And so in the um Mahapananabana Sutta, which is the sutta, the early sutra that is describing the last weeks and days of the Buddha's life. There is a a moment that we studied earlier last week in which the Buddha falls ill. This is not his final illness, but he's he's, he's fallen quite ill, very severely ill. It says, with intense pains and was deadly. So it was evidently life-threatening. But it occurred to him that it was not proper. It was not the right moment for him to leave this life. And so he, using the power of his concentration and his meditation and his own Understanding of the unity of body and mind, he, as he says, bent it back with persistence and, and kept determining the fabrications of life. Otherwise, kept bringing forth his life force and healed himself. As he emerged from that illness, Ananda, his attendant of many, many years, seeing the Buddha, and of course knowing that the Buddha was severely ill, was overjoyed. He says, what a happy sight to see the Blessed One. What a happy sight to see the Blessed One at ease. When you were ill, it felt my own body felt as if it was drugged. I lost my bearings. Everything was unclear to me. He was in great distress. And then he said, yet I took st- a measure of reassurance in the thought that the Buddha would not totally unbind, would not pass away from this life, as long as he had given at least some pronouncement concerning the Sangha of monks, some final words, some final instructions. And the Buddha says, Ananda, what does the Sangha of monks want from me? I've taught the Dharma without making an inside or outside. The Tathagata has no closed fist with regards to the teachings. There's nothing that he's held back. And then he goes on to say, I'm old, elderly, advanced in age. In the last stage of years, 80 years old, just an old cart, just as an old cart is kept going together with bamboo strips, the Tathagata's body has kept going with the help of bamboo strips. And so he's acknowledging that he's very, very aged. And that he he mentions that it's really within his themeless concentration, within his meditation, that his body is most at ease. Which means, at other times, he's very aware of his aging body, of its aches and pains, of its agedness. And then he goes on to say, so Ananda... You should all live, speaking to all of us, all of the monastics and all of us, you should all live with yourselves as your island, yourselves as your refuge, with no other as your refuge. You should live with the Dharma as your island, the Dharma as your refuge, and no other refuge. And so here he's making, and remember, he's in his last period of life, so he knows that these teachings that he's imparted are the final teachings that he'll be given and will have a, hold a particular place in the minds of the Sangha. And so we can, I think, safely assume that, that he was very aware and careful and attentive to what it was he was teaching at those times. And so what is the relationship between the Buddha saying, take yourself as your refuge, yourself as your island, when you're on an island, that's your world. That's your universe. Everything that you need, everything that you will require to not only live, but to thrive, and within a Buddhist context, to free yourself, to liberate yourself, is on that island. Right? You have no other resource. That's That is everything that you have, and everything that you will need is on that island. But we have to Discover that all of, that that is true, and discover that everything we need is there. And and the Dharma, in the same way, is our refuge, our island, and no other. But how is it that the that the self is that you are your own refuge, your island, that everything you need is within yourself to liberate yourself? When that self that we turn to is deluded when the mind that we turn to that we rely upon is cloudy when the impulses and the desires that we have are often tethered to histories and karma reactions the kleshas things that are clearly presented in the teachings as not reliable right? not good guides if we just receive them or listen to them without examination. So then how are we, in fact, to be our own refuge? Right? We have Buddha nature. The Buddha clarified that, realized that, in a sense laid that question to rest. We have have Buddha nature. But, as the teachings say in so many different ways, that Buddha nature is as though shrouded to us because of all of those karmic obstructions. So then how are we to follow, trust and follow the Buddha's, some of the Buddha's final and very emphatic words? These words are very, very direct, very simple in a sense, very clear. And yet how are we to do that? And what does that have to do? How can we relate that to Dogen's saying that birth in every moment is like riding a boat? You raise the sails and you steer, and although you maneuver it, the boat gives you a ride. Without the boat, you can't ride. There is no birth without this boat. Your body and mind, your heart, everything that moves within you, everything that is that island. And as you ride in the boat, and your riding makes the boat what it is, your riding makes the boat what it is. And then Dogen says, we should investigate this. At just such a moment, there is nothing but the world of the boat. It's often said in the teachings, in the Mahayana teachings, that when there's an invocation to take refuge, it's often presented as, until I am libera- fully liberated, until I am enlightened, I will take refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha. So what happens upon enlightenment? Do we no longer need to take refuge? Are the three treasures no longer part of our life, part of our practice? Thogne says, at just such a moment, there is nothing but the world of the boat. And in fact, the sky and the water and the shore are all the boat's world. Thus, you make birth what it is, and you make birth your birth. (laughs) So let's look at that together. Birth is like riding a boat. It gives you a ride. You can't ride without it, but your riding makes the boat what it is. And the Buddha is saying that you are your refuge unto yourself, like an island. There is no other refuge. How are we to take refuge, be that refuge, when we know, we know that our thoughts, our impulses, our emotions are not always trustworthy guides. And that it's not always clear when they are and when they're not. So let's see what we can clarify in this. So this is open to all of you who are formally participating in the Ango. I believe Shinji is, will begin. And um, she and Sancho, who will end, will do three bows. Everybody else can do one. And let's open it up to everyone who's doing the ongo, and those of you who have never done uh, Dharma Encounter before and or were not able to do it last ongo. Hopefully you can remember. I'm I'm sure you can because you would remember being up here on this hot seat. And so um, let's open it up to those who haven't done it and those who weren't able to do it last ongo to start. Okay.
2: Shosanji, with my life as this boat, I um, I feel like when 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 I see the the poisons, when I see my own actions that cause harm from greed, from ignorance, then I very clearly can can realize how that is like that burning house in the Lotus Sutra, like samsara I'm creating. And I don't want to be there. And when I really, really see that, realize that then I can... I, I step out of that house. And so it is my actions. It is when you step out of I that do. house,
1: what do you do with the boat? Where do you leave the boat?
2: I am the boat.
1: Then that poison, is that... Does that come from the outside?
2: No, that's from me.
1: Then how can you... If it's in you, how can you step apart from it? Step outside of that house?
2: I feel like when I truly see the harm that it causes, it transforms.
1: How do you, in that very moment, be that refuge in yourself? When that self that's arising has what you are calling poison.
2: I don't always see it in the moment, but I... I feel it, and I can atone afterwards.
1: Okay, well, that's a good practice. That's an essential practice. But how do you, how do you, free yourself more? Ultimately, the sky, the water, the shore. Dogen says is all the boat's world. How do you take refuge in that poison? I enter it. But those are words. How do you take refuge in that poison? I'm that? Open. You're open. Okay. Open is good. <laughs> These are good practices, right? And they're in a sense provisional, right? What we practice is essential, and it's provisional in a certain sense because it comes and goes. Right. And as you're saying, sometimes we, we see it and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we meet it and sometimes we don't. That's the challenge that all of us know and experience. And that's the world of the boat. Right, That's how we m- maneuver it and how it makes the, our ride and who and, and we are. But we're still having to meet that every time. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. So, how do we see it more undividedly? May your life go on. Just one.
3: Shosanji, riding in the boat, and the riding in the boat makes the boat what it is. The shore is there. I work with trying to see that that whatever it is that's coming up is the world of the boat. That this is me. This is mine. This is seeing where I separate.
1: What about when somebody's being mean, spirited, selfish, hurtful,
3: then my impulse is to I see the wanting to get rid of that. To
1: but where and, are they? Where are they in relationship to that boat?
3: I th- in the moment I think there's something else. That they're ah, you are in opposition to this person that I'm trying to protect or mm-hmm. care for. But they they're,
1: they're mean spirited and hurting you. Yeah. So what about that?
3: That's what I have to see as this is the world of the boat. This is
1: so how you ride in that boat you make birth what it is, you make birth your birth, that the riding makes the boat what it is right and it's clear that the boat is not other than you yeah, and so what do you do with that fire that's coming in from the shore he says the sky the water and the shore are all the boat's world, how do you make that your world that person, what they're doing.
3: Include, be one, reach out, not not make an enemy.
1: Well, they're not interested in your reaching out. What about that?
3: That happens. That does happen. <laughs> Here I am. That's right. Or is there... A- so is your is,
1: is there being your world you're reaching out, you're being one, as you said. Is that dependent upon there where they place themselves? No, it's not. Then how do you make that person their your world, your boat? Where does that
3: happen? This is the only place it can happen. That's true.
1: And that's the island your island and then the question that remains is knowing that then you don't try and get off that island that's not a small thing because we'll spend a lot of time looking for a ship passing by right Yeah, looking for a way out but we still have to find discover what that island is and how everything we need is there and that person is there too Right? And that's not a metaphor. So how do we make that real? Make your life go? Cool. Make your life go? Cool. Take it for your attention. Make your life cool. go.
4: <laughs> 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 so, Shanji, my question is what is born and what dies. Um, we speak of boats and islands, um, the self being self-reliant. I've been a self-reliant person, Mm -hmm. pretty uh, proud about that. Um, And then I realized I wasn't so trustworthy to myself, pretty profoundly untrustworthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a long time, didn't know what to trust in. Mm -hmm. I trust in the Dharma.
1: In In those moments when you didn't know what to trust in, because, in a sense, trust is not optional. The sutras say that if we don't take refuge, if we don't rely unreservedly upon the Dharma, and ourself as is our, is that island, we will rely on something else. We will rely on something else. Right. So in those, in those times when you felt like you could not trust in yourself, what were you trusting in?
4: Not much. Well, I mean, this body and mind. But you were
1: making choices. Yeah. You were still... So, what were you trusting? You know the answer. You just don't want to give it up.
4: <laughs> Myself. Yes. What else?
1: And so, it's so important to see that in a way that's showing us it's a into the non-duality, even in our self-reliance, you know, I identify with that. And also identify with seeing having being proud of that or, or like seeing that as a positive, because it seemed to be helpful in so many ways. And then beginning to see other aspects of that. It's non-dual. Right? When we think of something as all good, we're just thinking of it that way. That doesn't mean that's what it is. Or when we're thinking of something as all bad, we're just thinking of it that way. That doesn't mean that's what it is. The sky, the water, the shore is all the boat's world. And so, birth and death.
4: Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, this body and mind um, coming and going. I mean, sometimes it's sort of like you know, we do, do all this work to, to wake up and then, but then we see, you know, my mother-in-law whose mind is gone, is going and sort of like, okay, doing all this work in this life to be something who we want, who we think we want to be. And then it, Rots right. basically. Right. And so uh, you know
1: <laughs> So what's the what's the that place of precariousness in what you just said? Again which is the way in.
4: Again, it's relying on something that's impermanent.
1: That person I want to be. Now Bodhicitta is raising a great aspiration in a sense for a person I want to be. I said in my talk this week, I, you know, I don't want to be a person who's bringing more chaos and confusion into the world, who's hurting people, who's acting out of old, tired habits. I don't want to be that person. But how do I hold that thought? How do I understand that person that I'm talking about, which is me? Right. Because if I understand that person as Someone who mm-hmm. right is changing from one entity into another entity, then all of those things that I'm going to lose are already causing me grief
4: yeah
1: right and so to fill so what is the what, what is, is the it? way through
4: mm-hmm. the way in definitely looking inward, examining, practicing, using the tools of practice, to realize that nothing is born and nothing does die. I don't arrive, I don't leave. And to see that, to
1: take those teachings which are offered over and over and over again, and to examine them, what does that mean? That in a, in a moment when something appears, a baby is born, a thought appears in your mind, emotion suddenly rises within you. That in that moment, nothing has come into existence, and yet there's something in front of you. And to see that that is happening every moment, it's that dynamic, and that to, to understand. That's why the Buddha said, "Do you remember what the Buddha said?" And after he said, you are your refuge, your island, there is no other, the Dharma is your refuge, your island, there is no other. Do you remember what he said after that? No, I don't remember. He basically gave instruction in Zazen. Right, right, right. How do you, what is that refuge? How do you find your way into that refuge? And so he gave the teaching that he had given to every one of those students listening the very first time they ever met. We should think about that.
5: Thank you for your teaching.
1: We should think about that when we, when we, in our mind, reduce our Zazen to a concentration practice, or a mindfulness practice, or a calming practice, or a method, or an exercise, or a technique. Sanji. Mm-hmm. When
6: I was born, I was given the name Noah, and with this name comes a story that also has a boat and an island. <laughs> I've studied it with my life. I think about someone in a dry field hearing a still small voice telling them to build a giant boat and he called it an ark and we maybe would call that art and then when the waters rise sorry working on that equanimity. when the waters rise He gathers his family, and their loved ones, and all the living beings. And that's the whole world, for 40 days and 40 nights, and they say 40 nights because the nights must have been awful, all of those terrified animals. And then there was an island, and they arrived to the island. And they took refuge there, and then the waters, and it was the whole world.
1: So what do you make of that story?
6: It's all refuge, to hear that voice and to follow it, mm-hmm. to stay inside when it's storming and the world is it a sea. Mm-hmm and to wait as the waters slowly, slowly (laughs) proceed. Mm -hmm. And then you you have the whole
1: world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to be that person, that lonely person, when everyone else is just going about their day and their lives, who hears that (laughs) voice, that ridiculous demand. (laughs) Right? Crazy. (laughs)
6: Yeah. Am I insane? And everything is burning around him. The world is falling apart, and he's building a boat in the middle of a field. (laughs) Madness. This this room is like it's like that.
7: May your life go off. Shosanji, open up the windows and the doors and let the effluence pass through.
1: Okay. What is that? Is that opening the windows or closing them? How is that opening the window?
7: I want amnesty for the entire world, but how do I No no, how? no
1: you're getting away from it? How is that opening the window?
7: When I can remember when I take refuge.
1: Where is the remembering? in that. Will you do it another time? Where is the remembering in that?
7: It's right here.
1: So how does that open the window? Say a loud word. How does that open the window?
7: Thank God I'm here.
1: Oh, I'm glad you're here too. <laughs> But look at that. Linji shouted. Obaku struck. Zhaozhou used sparks, live words coming from his lips. How does that one moment, one undivided activity, that is not only the boat's world, but the sky, the water, the shore, how is that opening the window?
7: I don't know when it happens.
1: That's
5: true. May your life go well.
7: Thank you for your teaching.
5: Ah, our boats meet. I find, with this image, that the first thing that came to mind was a need-to-know, well, not even a need-to-know, I knew it was a sailboat. But was it? Maybe it has oars. Wait, how do I maneuver this boat? How do I... Wait, you didn't say anything about it moving and me moving it and having a responsibility for that side of it.
1: Who are you talking to? Who didn't tell you anything about that? Were you not listening?
5: The judge. The outside. The how am I supposed to do it? And now... Ah... I could just be in the
1: boat. The how you're supposed to do it, you mean just following the rule? Looking
5: outside. Mm -hmm. Looking for how to guide, control, maneuver. That's
1: what I call following the rule. Following the rule. Whether it's your rule, whether it's somebody else's rule. And yet we live in a world of boundaries and parameters and rules and we have some here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was mentioning, was it to you? Maybe it was to somebody else, that <clears throat> you know, I never really particularly liked following rules. I still don't particularly like following. Jimon calls that my (laughs) 14-year-old arrogant, you know. And when I encountered particularly here, encountered you know the training and the rules of the monastic and the discipline and the precepts and all of the all of those aspects of the boat. And I knew, even in my infancy, because of that temperament or that inclination, that that I did not bring myself here to follow rules, mm-hmm. but I desperately needed help, and I needed those, but I needed them to not be rules, right? And so I had to find my way in, mm-hmm. right? So that they were something else, they were something living, right? But without, you know, just appropriating them or turning them into something else, or being devious and you know, avoiding the whole matter, right? Yeah. And so, how do we do that? To me, that's one of the most fabulous and challenging aspects of practice. Is you know, one strategy would just be just let it all hang loose. Right. You know, like how you know we're too rulebound, so let's just not have any. You know, how would that? For teach us how to be free within a boat. And this boat that Dogen says is the boat of our making, right? But it includes the sky and the world and the shore and, and all of the animals of Noah's Ark and everything, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, when, when Dogen says, it's the boat of our making, what is that our? Who does that include? Right? So to really, you know, to, when we take refuge in ourselves as, as our island, we can think of that as vast and wide, boundless, infinite. But it's also densely populated with parents yeah. and voices, and teachers, and governments, and all of those animals. Yeah. And they're all on the boat, and we all have to get along somehow. And so how do we get along with the boatmaster? And then we'll see. And the Bodhisattva other vow is to do that at the same time that you're navigating every inch of that boat and everybody on it. You know, and we when we talk about oneness, you know, I think let's be careful about that. Right? Because here you are. So facing me and here I am facing you. All right. So what does that mean, oneness? Let's be clear about that. May your life go well. Thank you for your teaching. And if you think, well, a way to avoid following rules is just become the abbot and then you don't have to follow them anymore. <laughs> that is distinctly
0: not true. <laughs> <laughs> This precious human boat, so rare and hard to find, contains the whole earth, sky, clouds, animals. How do I let other people know that there's room for their boat too?
1: Good question. How do you let people know that the world is vast and wide? How do you let people know that they themselves are their own refuge? So, having asked the question, please show me. Tell me, how do you know to do that? What have you seen that
0: is a way forward to that? Practice, sitting, just being in my boat, not being tossed around by the waves.
1: How does that help us?
0: In taking care of myself, I also take care of others. There's no difference. How
1: do you make sure that that's true and not just a byline
0: to take care of yourself and feel good about it. I trust, I watch, I see the fruit, and I keep going. In all of that though, is there doing? There's non-doing.
1: But what do you do with your non-doing? In other words, there's the precept of not creating harm. There's a precept of uh, practicing good, which is to basically live in accord with the way things are. And then there's actualizing, good for others. Actualizing, making it very clear, you know, that it's not theoretical, it's not just my aspiration. And so, yes, when you are living a Buddha, a Buddha's life, that is a, can have a profound influence because we see that. We experience that in the same way that when somebody isn't living that life, we experience that and are influenced by it. And at the same time, as, as a powerful an, an example as that can be because it's being lived, it's not just words. Should we not challenge ourselves to go a little further? always challenge. So that's where, you know, the taking refuge in ourselves needs to really, I think we need to challenge ourselves to, you know, these teachings are for real. They're not just inspirational, right? They're not even just aspirational. They're reporting. They're telling us that if we want, that life that we aspire to it has to be self and other in every step it has to be and then how do we make that real right in moments when the other is happily going along eager to hear and when they're not right at that moment what is oneness oneness what do we take refuge in? What is the dharma of that moment? That's what it really comes down to. You know, I mean I talk to people all the time who are who are genuinely, deeply wanting to live a compassionate life. And the question that almost always follows is, how? I have this situation. Let me tell you about this thing that's going on.
0: <laughs> Cool. Thank you for your teaching.
7: The word boat and being, the word boat and being are the same thing here. And I, I know that because I, I feel my self as the boat and living the life that is inside the boat which means holding on to some part of the sail and some part of the rudder at the same time, all the time. And sometimes the horizon is my grandmother is dying and I'm the one who has to vacuum the black coffee-ground sort of stuff out of her Mm -hmm. mouth. And I didn't know if I could do that. But then I was able to do that, and that's the taking refuge in myself.
1: How is it that you were able to do that, that you weren't, didn't know you could?
7: When the sail gets further away or the rudder gets further back, you just have to reach, you just have to grow. The boat gets bigger.
1: And at that moment, who else was there to do it?
7: In that moment I just did it. There were other people who might have done it and who also did do it, but when I did it, I just did it.
1: There was no one else. It's cool. Thank you for your teaching. That's what training does. It puts us into situations that we haven't been in before. And that we may not think we're prepared for. How often have I heard a student who's been given a new service position and they come in and they say, I wasn't given instruction. I said, you weren't given any instruction? And they say, no, I wasn't given enough instruction. And I said, no, you were given enough
0: instruction. <laughs> now the rest is up to you. <clears throat> Shosanchi, that sounds like my training week Um, uh, the Buddha said to take refuge in the Dharma but isn't the Dharma an instruction manual in how to ride a boat
1: that's one way of looking at it I mean that's one aspect of Dharma and that's you know incredibly important (laughs) what would we do without it but what else is Dharma
0: well I mean, the Dharma is a, it's a blueprint for reality, which I don't know if I trust enough, because I know that um, I'm still suffering, and that I don't like reality mm-hmm. a lot of times. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and isn't that so? We trust, we do have trust because we're here, but we don't trust it enough. enough undividedly, right, in every moment. No, we don't, you know? I mean, I I can think about moments that I can look back on and realize I wasn't, and I can remember moments where, in the moment, I knew I wasn't, Mm -hmm. and I was choosing to trust what was familiar to me, because that I I knew, and it had been tested to some degree, and what my teacher was asking me to. Was stepping in, stepping off that precipice that in that moment I wasn't ready to do. And it's, it really shows us how powerful the student is. Mm-hmm. Right? The student is making the decisions.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, the tough sort of uh, enigma or enigmatic. Piece of practice is that, you know, that trust yourself piece. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, how, when you know that you're trusting your karmic mind over the Dharma, how do you take refuge in that moment? Oh, monk. (laughs) Uh
0: Well, let me add a a non monkish metaphor to the day, which is that just occurred to me. Is that the self is like a disco ball. And there's all these mirrors reflecting every little bit, reflecting you, reflecting a torn muscle, reflecting responsibilities, reflecting vows. And, you know, the, the self is not just a thing, it's not just a desire, it's in relationship.
1: Yeah, no, that's oh. a that's a disco <laughs> <laughs> Some net. <party. laughs> <laughs> oh, there
7: we go. Thank you. Thank you. asked how can you. trust? This self, rely on the self um, that is so impermanent and fickle and conditioned mm-hmm. um, and free. So that's all we have.
1: And so what, what guides you in that? What can you bring forth and use as a guide in that very moment, which happens over and over and over again?
7: In this world, this world,
1: these... Oh, that's these. awful big and vague. What can you draw upon, actually, in that moment?
7: hope
1: how about intention when you don't know when it's not clear this mind this impulse this thought do I trust this or not return to your intention what is your intention what is important and that, that brings things into view Right? And then no matter what happens next, that intention is created a, a guiding force, a good force, if it's a well-placed intention. And the power of that is that we can do that in any weather pattern. You know, that metaphor of the boat is so wonderful, right? It's it's crossing over, it's to crossing over to the other shore. And that sense of a boat as being this vessel, this Vehicle that has come down to us. So it's not just, you know, the teaching somewhere floating in in midair, but it's like embodied, right? In a training hall, in, in these sacred forms of practice that we've been taught, in the teachings, all the things that we do as practitioners, right? All of that is the boat. And then we set sail, and we're in the water now. And sometimes it's beautiful and clear and calm and you want to be that way forever, but it doesn't stay that way. It gets choppy and sometimes the water comes pouring in and you tip over and you have to get it back right up. I mean, it's a wonderful metaphor, right? Because the fact is, is when you're in that boat and once you've left the shore, that's your island, right? You have to make it work. No one's coming to save you. Right? That's the good news. Right? You don't have to wait. You don't have to waste that energy sending up a flare, you know, or do an SOS or whatever that you do. Right? It's you. And what is that you? Right? When Dogen says, you make birth what it is and you make birth your birth, and that the way you ride the boat determines. What the boat is determines what your life is. That's why the Buddha, his, his, his realization about the importance of intention was like radical, revolutionary insight.
7: What is intention?
1: You tell me. It's simple
7: self and other is one.
1: No. What is intention? Very simply.
5: I want to do this. Okay. Exactly.
1: It's a desire. But it's a desire that is, is, is examined, that is understood. That It's not just an impulsive desire. Right? It's a desire that is coming from the depths. Right? And right intention, the Noble Eightfold Path, Right Intention. What is the right part of that? What makes it right?
7: It's in accord with
1: the way. It's true. It's trustworthy. It's reliable. May your life go well.
7: Thank you for your teaching. So-chan, chi
1: Shosan. Shosan. is our encounter and she is teaching.
7: So, um, When I picture my boat, I picture a rowboat. Uh, Life of Pi was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And so I'm learning through practice that even with just a rowboat, I can have an incredible life-changing adventure, that there's so much to see, and there's always something new coming around the corner, and I never know what I'm going to meet, and I don't have to have more than a rowboat to. To have exactly the kind of life that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. But I'm worried that when it comes to the vow of saving all sentient beings, how can a rowboat possibly be enough? Mm -hmm. What if an ark is needed, and all I have is this this small space?
1: So, what will you do about that?
7: Do I need to build on my boat, make it bigger?
1: No. You don't have those tools. You don't have those materials. You just have the boat. And you have that boat because it is exactly what you need. That's what the Buddha said. It is your refuge. No other. Not a different one. And so, how are you going to get everybody to fit? Stop imagining. Give up imagining. Right? Stop measuring. Stop making sense. (laughs) That's the madness. Right? But the madness, I mean, samsara, in a sense, is living upside down and calling it right side up. It's living in pain and calling that necessary. It's, it's desecrating our mother and calling that progress. And so, what is madness? And so, trust that that boat, and don't go fixing it up, <laughs> right? it's fine. And it's enough. That's the faith. And when you don't trust that, when you doubt that, and you find yourself shopping for, right, come back and look again, and you will find what you need.
7: Thank you for your teaching.
1: That's fine. You can go. You can go go back to your seat. Shosanchi. So I, uh, during session, I've been thinking. Was thinking about my father, who died twenty years ago, and uh, um, I watched him die. And uh, you know, he had had a a, a very slow-growing form of cancer, and he lived with it for about twelve years. And went to the doctor one day, and they discovered that it had metastasized to his kidneys. So they knew he was dying. There was nothing they could do. And um, so one morning, my sister happened to be there, and she's a registered nurse. And um, they tried to wake him up, and he was in a coma. He couldn't wake up. So my sister called me, and I went up to the house in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, he looked like he was sleeping. And, you know, he would snore a little bit, and and we were talking to him all throughout the day. And then that night, about 8.30, he died. And I watched him die. And, um, you know, it, it was the thing that, like, really struck me was that as soon as he, he took a breath, and then, whew, was gone. But immediately, I mean, within seconds, you could tell that whatever this thing we call life, it was gone, and you could see it. And, you know, it was just like... Um, it was this container that it could have been anything. It could have been like a blanket that was there or a pillow. I mean, and I thought, you know, what is this life? You know, what is that? Where did it go? And, and what, what made him, as we, we all have different personalities and proclivities, and, and what is that? I mean, what makes that? I mean, we can't, I mean, I just, we can't, I guess, ever really know what that is. What? What is? Well, what? What life is? And you know, I was just thinking about that in relation to. Um, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but um, when I was in college, I took a course in microbiology, and I remember the first lab course. This the professor had a um, was called a hay infusion. Uh, you know, it's just hay from a barn floor that she put in a in a jar, and, and all these like microorganisms growing. And we were looking at these under a microscope, and I was thinking about the life of those things, and how is that life different than my life, or my father's life, or your life? I mean, it's a life. I mean, it's different. There are different organisms, but um, I don't know. I mean, well, you know, the Buddha taught that what we call life, right? The boat, the sky, the water, and the shore. The Noah's Ark, the whole catastrophe, as that would say, is, takes residence within a form. Here's one. And that it has no beginning because that consciousness, sometimes is spoken of as volition, what allows this moment of consciousness, the condition for it to come into being, is in the previous moment of consciousness. And so there can be no time, there has been no time where that consciousness was not present because it can't just self appear, come from nothing, mm-hmm. right? That would mean it wasn't dependently arising, right? It was permanent, it was fixed, and there's nothing like that in the universe. And so that's the basis of rebirth in the Buddha's teaching and our grasping and wanting to live and not wanting to die and not wanting to give it up, and not wanting to not be this self and so that it perpetuates. And so when the Buddha in his enlightenment said, the rafters of this house have been broken, I will not return again to this life because he had broken that cycle, right? And so when you ask, what is life, right? And you would just as easily ask, what is death, right? Because that's just another moment, right? Mm-hmm. From Bush perspective, that's just another moment of consciousness that is in motion, in, in movement, mm-hmm. right? But where did that, at the moment my father died, where did that consciousness migrate to? Well, that, the teachings are that it, it enters into a period called the bardo in between, where it seeks. Where it seeks because there is still grasping. Right? And so it seeks another life. So the great vow, the great offering of the Bodhisattva, you know, and people say, well, why wouldn't you want to come back? You get to have another life. Right? <laughs> But it's often that it's it's assumed that it's like, oh, I get to come back. Yeah, exactly. Right? And it's not the self. No. It's not the self. It's consciousness because there is the self is empty of self. There is no Mm -hmm. self to return. But also, it's ignoring the fact in all the moments of pain and suffering and confusion and samsara. But the great offering of the bodhisattva is, is to keep returning from one moment to the next, from one difficult situation to the next, right? Yeah. From one election to the next. <laughs> pick it. Pick your, your trouble. Yeah. And to keep returning from one period of Zazen to the next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Sheila in her talk talked about, you know, about being committed, right? And that doesn't just happen in a moment. For practitioners, that's an evolving thing. And in the teachings, there's a moment of of irreversibility, where, in essence, you've seen too much, you've gone too far, you can't go back. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So, (laughs) well, I feel that way sometimes, you know, and I don't remember when that moment was in my practice, but... You know, I think, you know, what am I, what am, what am I doing here, you know? Yeah. And, and so, but I stay. Well, and so what would you go back to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not pretty, whatever that is. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, where are you going to go back to that you're going to leave this? Yeah. History? There is no other boat. Yeah. And it's just like the hardest aspect of practice is. I, I think it was Michael you were talking to, or or But you know, just dealing with those those people that are you know hard hearted and cruel. And well, and, you know, it's we provided some here for you, <laughs> just for me. right? Yeah. Just for you, right? <laughs> On a manageable scale, uh-huh. we try and keep it manageable, uh-huh. right? Within certain parameters, <laughs> so that we. To practice that, I'm not kidding. No, I know. And you may find that you yourself sometimes provide yourself with that such an opportunity. I do. For sure. Thank you for your teaching. I was reading the news recently, and it was about some congressional committee hearing in which they were calling um, some public officials, public servants, to answer questions. And the inquiry, from my perspective, was, was absolutely ludicrous. The questions, the subject, it was ridiculous. It, it was about laws around public urination. Um, Why do I bring that up? (laughs) It's not because I have a very particular position on that. It came to mind because I was thinking, we are in this boat. We are in this boat together. We are sailing across. It's the only one we have. And the boat that we are in and the way that it rides is the is the boat that we have and the ride that we have and the person that we have in the world that we create. And that within our um, false views and attachments and our... when the self becomes first and foremost, which we can dress up in all kinds of ways and justify in all kinds of ways. The things that then become important can be unconscionable for the time and energy that is devoted to them while deeply, serious, momentous things are calling to us, things small and large. And when I think we see that more and more clearly, that practice, you know, we think of the things in our lives that are necessary. You have to have certain things in your life to live. You have to have food. You have to have warmth. You have to have shelter. You have to have... And then there are the things that are optional. And I, I, of course, you know, I'm speaking from the place in which I have made this my life, but I really feel that when we look clearly, whatever our path is, that that is a, a reckoning and a um, clarifying of those things that, that really do deserve those inquiries, those deep, deep, detailed examinations and thoroughgoing Um, and sustained efforts and those things that don't. And I think the teachings in the Eightfold Path and the Precepts, all of these teachings are basically calling to us, these are the things that are actually important. These are the things that are important. So that we keep those in view. you know part of the burden of the bodhisattva who cares so much loves so much is seeing the the ever-present possibilities in all of us in everyone in everything and seeing as i spoke about yesterday i think that vital life force that sancho was talking about that if you have ever been in the presence of death you see it it's tangible it's, a, it's something. It is a force. You can't touch it. You can't contain it. But it is a living thing. And it's changing the world all the time, every day. And to misuse that, to misuse this precious human life, from a Buddhist perspective, is just a tremendous loss. It's just a loss of a, of a, of a great, great opportunity that we have received. And so we are here. So we, we come together to do this, to, in a sense, not just give testimony to that, but to give it an embodied our, li- our lifeblood. And so I appreciate that we are here, that we can do this, all of us, from all of your various places, and that everyone anywhere in the world who is caring in their way and bringing something forth is is riding their boat with their eyes open, whatever their method, bless them. (laughs) Thank goodness for all of those who care and are working on behalf of everyone. May our lives go on.
4: Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.